The last week I've been thinking about Mark 4, and reflecting on a story we find there. We also find it in Luke 8 and Matthew 8. We arrive on the scene in Mark 4, we arrive in the midst of a storm. The disciples are in this small fishing boat out on the Sea of Galilee, and this storm, as happens on the Sea of Galilee, just comes upon them, catches them in the middle of the water. The waves are rising and crashing against the boat. The surge spills over onto the deck. They are terrified they might drown. And what sticks out to me about that story now in the last 24 hours is that it was not uncommon that they would take a trip in this fishing boat across the Sea of Galilee. There's nothing abnormal about fishermen being in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, it's like taking a trip to Walmart. And this storm comes, and they're terrified that they'll drown. And that image of Jesus rising from the bottom of the boat and walking to the bow of the boat and saying to the storm, peace, be still. Well, that image sticks with me this morning. Because of course, after he says, peace, be still, it is. The storm calms. I think the reason that story has been on my mind is because I can't help but read our text for today, which is from Philippians 4, without thinking about this story. I mean, that story of Jesus and the boat has changed the way that I read this really, well, this familiar passage that you've read a million times, probably from Philippians 4, which is about prayer. But but, but read these words in light of that scene of Jesus in the boat with those disciples in the midst of the storm. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're continuing our series in prayer today that we started last week. Chris started it last week. And Chris, you'll remember, looked at the first or the second verse, sorry, in Philippians, Philippians 1, verse 2, where we, we find this May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So, this is Paul's prayer that the Philippians would experience the grace and peace of God. But since peace shows up again in this passage later in Philippians 4, we decide, well, Chris, you take grace the first week, I'll take peace the second week. We'll split those up. But of course, we knew even in the moment of doing that, you can't split up grace and peace. Uh, 17 letters in the New Testament start with this very language, the the combination of grace and peace, the prayerful desire that the readers of these letters would experience both the grace and the peace of God. So let me make one point really clear as I lean into a focus on peace today, the peace that comes by prayer, is that prayer has the power to provide you that peace that passes understanding, not because you say the right words in the right order, but because all of our prayer as children of God takes place between the banner or beneath, sorry, the banner of God's grace. The only reason prayer is effective in realizing the peace that God has for you is because of children of God, we dwell in a state of God's grace because of the cross. In fact, when the New Testament talks about peace, it's really talking about three overlapping ideas. We'll throw these up on the screen. You'll see them behind me. The first is this peace as a feeling, something you feel inside of peace and rest or peaceful rest. Two is this peace as a state of relationship with God. And three, this peace is the salvation of the whole person eternally. 
And I think as you look at that list, and we'll leave it up there for a moment, it's tempting to think that you might actually come by number one without numbers two and three. We were on sabbatical recently, praise God, it was wonderful. We were in the mountains in New Mexico and Colorado, and I can imagine, you know, as I stood beneath these snow-capped mountains with this light dusting of snow falling in the cool mountain air, that this would be a peaceful place if you didn't have three small children with you. Like, there, there is this sense that you might come by, number one, without numbers two and three, but what we know about number one is that it's fleeting. You know, one moment you feel peace, and then it, it passes away, and you don't feel it anymore. And so when the Bible talks about peace, these three cannot be distinguished or differentiated. That if you're going to have number one, it's because you have a relationship with God. In other words, the Lord is near. Jesus is in the boat. And if Jesus was in the boat and then out of the boat, he was here one moment and gone the next, if his presence wasn't eternal, then the peace that came from his presence wouldn't be lasting. Right? It would be as fleeting as the peace you find in the mountains of Colorado. So if peace is real and authentic and lasting, number one, it will only be because number two and three have been proven true by the cross of Jesus Christ. But in many ways, I think we buffer ourselves from that true and lasting peace that you see in these three. I think we do it in a lot of ways. We seek peace through our devices. And we feel this kind of hunger inside, this desire to, for community or interaction or distraction. And we feel that desire by picking up our phones, thinking that it'll give me peace for a moment. Maybe that peace will last this time, and it doesn't. I'm always interested when I fly places that almost everyone in the airport these days walks around with earbuds in or headphones. And, I, and what are they communicating? I'm at peace. Don't bother me. Uh, even I fight this temptation, I've got this same habit in the morning where I get up, I make coffee, and I go to sit down and spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer. And every morning, I fight the urge to pick up my phone before I pick up the Bible. Or just this temptation that maybe the peace I find there will be more lasting and significant than the peace I find in the Word of God. But the Bible says this storm is coming. And in the same way that grace and peace cannot be separated, you know, so too the pieces of this storm are swirling about together. And the Bible uses different language for two things. It uses sin and death. And that those two are this storm that is coming, that's coming for each of us. And when that storm hits us, we will always be not expecting it. And when the storm hits us, what we will most long for is the peace of God. You know, but this is where the cross of Jesus comes into so much focus, is in the midst of the anxiety and fear and worry that the storm of sin and death creates for us, that Jesus marches into that storm and the cross on our behalf and says, peace, be still. Peace, be still. And so there's this hint there that if I'm going to find the peace that passes understanding. If I'm going to find that peace through prayer, it will only be because my peace takes place in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. So Dudley and Martha shared their story, and I asked if I could share a piece of that story. Dudley and Martha, both, they would tell you, have been on a spiritual journey the last few years of deepening faith. 
Dudley reads a lot, and he came across this quote in a, from an author in a book about the crucifixion of Jesus. And he shared it with Martha, and the two of them made this a prayer of theirs. And this is in the months before the miscarriage. They didn't know why God had led them to this line, but it seemed relevant. And so this, this was what he read, when the reality of death is far from our minds, when the reality of death is far from our minds, the promises of Jesus often seem detached from our lives. Isn't that true? And when we, do, we live in this illusion of peace so often when hurt, brokenness, death, separation, struggle is far from us. But the moment we run into it, we realize we wish we had that kind of lasting peace, right, that comes from the interrelation of those three dynamics of the peace that passes understanding. And they didn't know why those words captured them, but they began to pray those words, and then they lost their daughter. And I reached out to Dudley, and he sent me this message. She said, Eric, the reality of death has been extremely close to our minds. And the sadness and feeling of loss that accompany death have been real. However, like no other instance in either of our lives, have the joyful presence of God and the promises of Jesus been more tangible. That is the peace of God. The peace of grace, or the grace of peace, what Paul calls here the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I can remember most of the times that I have prayed for that kind of peace because it's always the worst times. You know, I can imagine that in El Paso today and Dayton, Ohio today, there are pastors and preachers and priests who are gathering before congregations, like Paul says in Romans 8, not sure of what to say. And so what do they pray for? The peace that passes understanding. The peace that I can't manufacture, the peace that I can't create for you, the peace that if it's going to show up in this room, in your hearts, in this place, it's going to be beyond understanding, and it's only going to be because God is a gracious God, and we give that as a result of his peace. I can remember praying those words in hospital rooms when someone was passing before their time. I can remember praying those rooms with a husband who had read a text message on his wife's phone that told him what he did not want to know. And I can, I can remember most of the times I have prayed those words, and surprisingly, peace has shown up. And, you know, isn't that fascinating? That even in the moment I was praying for that, I almost don't expect it to be there because to me the situation seems so bad that peace is impossible, and God, by His grace, will provide it in ways I can't understand or explain. You know, maybe the most staggering example of that is Paul himself who writes Philippians. And you may remember from Philippians 1 that when Paul writes it, he's actually in prison. And this is what he says from prison. Throw it up here on the screen. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's talking about being in prison. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else, I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And the latter do so out of love, knowing that I put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. I told you before we do this Bible study in the prison, local prison, on Wednesday mornings, and what I'll tell you is that prisons are not a place of peace. You know, and there you've got guys who are overcome by fear of the guys around them. You've got guys who are overcome by anxiety and worry about what's going on on the outside, the things they can't control. We've got multiple guys who've lost parents while they were in there, who've lost brothers, shot while they were in prison. They're overcome by fear and anxiety in prison. And I can confirm for you what you would suspect, that prison is not naturally a place of peace. And yet Paul in prison has peace. He's got peace about his imprisonment. He's got peace about his reputation, even though there's people on the outside who are trash-talking him and he can't control that. He's got peace about these churches that he would long to be with in person but just can't. He's got peace about it all in prison, and that kind of peace passes understanding. So how does Paul find that kind of peace? Well, this is my guess. He's in jail, and he doesn't have a lot else to do but what? Pray. And I think it's that Paul is wrapped in prayer, that he is caught up in this symphony of prayer from that jail cell that leads him to write this, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds Christ Jesus. I love that last description of peace. The peace isn't just like a warm, fuzzy feeling you feel as a result of prayer. The peace is the power that God sends out in response to our prayer, this active force that wraps itself around us and lifts us up towards God. He's, Paul's trying to look for a metaphor to explain this. He sees these guards walking around outside his prison cell, and he says, prayer's like that. It's watching over you. The peace of God is watching over you. It's protecting you. The peace of God wraps itself around you and takes care of you because you've been praying in Christ. But as I think about that scene that we started with, the scene of the disciples in the boat, I think about the panic on their faces. I imagine that. The panic we hear in their voice when they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And what that scene reminds us of in that storm is that there is so much in our life we do not control. And what we don't control scares us to death. And so what we tend to try to do to overcome that anxiousness and fear and to find peace is try harder to control what we can't control. And so I think there's something about the peace, the, the, the role of prayer in the midst of the struggle of our wills versus God's will. So we find that in what Jesus teaches us to pray. We'd be remiss to do a sermon series on prayer and not point out how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. What I want you to do is pay attention to this prayer. You've heard a thousand times. You have this prayer memorized probably. In fact, it's probably a disadvantage to some degree to have it memorized because you, you, you breeze through these words that have really significant meaning. So this is what Jesus teaches us about how to pray, but pay attention to what his prayer teaches us about what prayer is itself. Okay, this is what he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. 
okay, the whole prayer is in a posture of, God, if anything good is going to happen in my life, if I'm going to be protected, if I'm going to be cared for, if I'm going to be provided for, it's going to be because you do it and not me. And notice what you pray for. Whose kingdom's coming? Your kingdom, in other words, not mine. Whose will needs to be done? Your will, not mine. Okay, you know, Jesus is teaching us how to pray here, but there is this larger lesson about what prayer is. Okay, real prayer is when I surrender my will to the will of God. And I, I really want you to hear that. If, if real prayer is about surrendering your will to God, then the real peace that comes from real prayer is the moment when God's will finally becomes my will. Okay, the real peace you're after in prayer is not to convince God to do what you want. The peace that is lasting is when the God who has proven His power through the death and resurrection of His Son takes your will into His. The moment when you surrender your desires, your demands, and you are okay with His will being done. That would be the kind of peace that would last. That's Jesus in the garden not my will, but yours be done. I have a spiritual mentor of mine, and I've shared this with the Bible class before. And when people ask him to pray for them, he, he takes that really seriously. And so he'll write down their names on this note card he carries in his shirt pocket. And so every morning he prayer walks. He walks around his neighborhood praying. And so he takes his little prayer card out, and he walks like this, and he reads through those names of people who've asked him to pray for them. And he says, for a long time, Eric, you know, I, I, I prayed a bunch of requests about each of those people. And, and indeed, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. And I, I think that's biblical. To be specific about what you desire, you absolutely need to do that. He said, but ultimately, Eric, I realized I was still worried about all those people. And I was still, throughout my day, stressed about what was going on in their life and wondering what I should do to fix it or what maybe they needed to do to fix it. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So he changed the way he prays. And now what he does is he just walks around with that note card, and he calls to attention the person he's praying for. He speaks their name before God, and then he just worries about them before God. And he just worries about them and worries about them, and he's walking the whole time. And he worries about them until he realizes he's not worried about them anymore, and he moves on to the next person. And, and the point's really subtle. I don't want you to miss it. What's happening is he prays until the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, comes upon him. He's no longer anxious. And God's will for that person has become his will for that person. It's one thing to pray that for somebody else, that kind of prayer where it's like, your will be done, not mine. It's, it is much more difficult to pray that for ourselves. And uh, to that story, I'd, I'd point you to Jesus' mom. She's awesome, Mary. Mary's a young girl, and she gets the news that she's going to be pregnant, and this is bad news for her. She's not married in this society. This is a bad deal. She's in trouble. And she gets this news that she's going to carry the Son of God and deliver him into the world. And do you remember what Mary says? She says, Here am I, servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I think you should write this prayer down. Jot that, that passage down. This is often called the prayer for indifference, which is a spiritual term that means the moment when you're okay, when you accept that God's will is better than your will. Okay? And you want whatever God wants to be done. So it's one thing to pray for others like this, but can you stand before God and say, here am I, 
servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things. The first is easier than the second. The first is I want you to sit up straight in your chair, get comfortable. And the second is I want you to trust me. Okay? I want you to put your hands, palms down on your thigh, your knee. Comfortable? If you've got something in your lap, maybe your phone, your device, your Bible, you can go ahead and set that down. Put your hands, palms down on your lap. Uh, if everybody's doing it, it's not weird, so um, close your eyes. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. We were talking about, just keep your hands that way, your eyes closed. We were talking this week in our worship planning about how can we not only talk about peace, how might we try to experience the peace that passes understanding through prayer in our time of worship. And so we're going to try that. As you sit there, eyes closed, hands, palms down. I want you to pay attention to what are you, what are you thinking about right now? What stresses or anxieties do you have that you're holding on to? Maybe it's the, the yard that needs to get mowed this afternoon. Maybe it's the fight you got in with your spouse last night and y'all haven't even talked about it yet this morning. Uh, maybe it's a worry about one of your children. Maybe it's something school-related. School's about to start, and you're worried about that. Maybe you've got an older child who's far from the Lord, and you're worried about that. What are you sorrowful about? What's hurting this morning? Feel that moving from your chest, down your arms, into your hands, and down to your fingertips. What are you clawing onto, holding onto? Maybe it's the sorrow of these shootings in the last 24 hours, and that reminds you of somebody you've lost, and that hurts. I want you to name those things before God, just quietly in your own mind. Just identify them. Worry about them for a moment before God. And when you're ready, I want you to turn your hands, palms up in the posture of receiving and submission. I want you to surrender each of those things to God one by one. Ask God to take them. You can imagine yourself in the boat with God, this storm swirling about. And imagine his face right there. The Lord is near. Pay attention to your breath. The Lord is as close to you right now as the air you breathe. He's filling you inside and out. And say as you focus on your breath, just quietly to yourself in your own mind, here am I, servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Here am I, Servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I'll close with this story. Last week, there was a, a gentleman here at Highland. He's an older, older gentleman. He's got a lot of health struggles. He's kind of constantly teetering on the edge of sickness and wellness. He's got a lot to be anxious about, frankly. But he's really serious about prayer, and 
in Bible study, and he comes by the office occasionally to share with me what he's learning and experiencing. Last week or the week before that, he came in and he said, Eric, I want to share with you about this experience in prayer I had. He said, I wrote it down because it meant a lot to me, and he shared it with me. He said he was reflecting on Proverbs 4.23, which has language about the springs of life, and that's a really common biblical metaphor of this water flowing forth, giving us life, water springing from the very heart of God. He said he began to to just dwell on that passage in prayer. Before he knew it, he he was in a large valley overlooked by these towering mountains, and in this valley was this spring just pooling into this little freshwater pond, and by that spring was a little bench. And I'll pick up there as he's sitting at the bench. He said, right now I'm contemplating peace from a silent spring. As I sit on the bench, I look out on this pond of fresh water. I'm recalling a passage from Jeremiah where God is referred to as the fountain of living water. And I'm recalling this phrase in this passage to remind myself that although right now I'm sitting alone on this bench, that I am inviting in the presence of God. So now I sit in silence. I'm taking in the calming, the peaceful effect of this pond. It is stilling my soul. And then in my imagination, I'm sensing the presence of God the Father who walks up to the pond and sits on the bench alongside me. And we sit on the bench together in silence. I'm reminded of Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And my soul is delighting itself with the presence of God the Father. Doesn't that sound peaceful? You know, here's the secret. That's available to you. You know, Jesus, by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection, has brought God, who was once far from us, near. By the blood of Christ, the God who was once distant is now as close to us as the air we breathe. He's sitting beside us on that bench, beside his streams of living water. And my prayer for you is that you would know that. And that that peace that passes understanding would be yours because of the grace of God. Because the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will you stand as we finish in song? When peace like a river